The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we share stories of world-changing brand campaigns and brand-building strategies as told by the marketers who use them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. And today we're going to hear about an insane campaign with another agency friend of mine around Marilyn Monroe and how to the usage of Marilyn Monroe's iconic campaign 50 years ago. And with me is David Fischette, who's the founder, CEO, and chief creative at Go West Creative, which is an industry-leading marketing agency specializing in bringing brand stories to life through unparalleled live, virtual, and hybrid experiences. All right, today, Dave and I are going to discuss your Marilyn moment for the brand we've all seen, Sexy Hair. How the heck you got the rights to this and pulled this campaign off? I can't wait to hear about it. So here's my conversation with David Fischett, founder and CEO and chief creative at Go West Creative. All right, let's get into this. We Like we do, we get into the topic, like, nah, let's switch this. You know, two agency guys in here screwing around with creative and, uh, and copy, of course. So let's get into it, David. I've dealt with trying to get rights for influencers and celebrities, and I haven't done a ton on past IP, so I'm so curious... I'm sure people have heard about Sexy Hair. I'm certainly familiar with the brand. And then Marilyn Monroe, oh my gosh. How the heck did you pull this off? Tell us about this campaign, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So, so Sexy Hair secured the rights to a likeness of Marilyn Monroe for a two-year campaign to be the uh, face of the Sexy Hair brand. And you guys know Sexy Hair, the big red spray bottles, hairspray. And you know, I, I think I've, I've got some goo in my hair today that's Sexy Hair. Because you're, you're in Nashville. I saw I'm that. They're located in uh, just outside of California in the San Fernando Valley, outside of Los Angeles in California, in uh, Chatsworth, California. Yeah, so they secure the likeness of uh, Marilyn Monroe as the face of their brand for a two-year period because they felt like uh, sexy is classic. And she, you know, she is the iconic version of beauty and sexiness. So it was amazing. And so when they came to me, it was a specific, interesting nugget that they figured out that inside of that two-year window that they had Marilyn's likeness for their campaign fell the 60th anniversary of the seven-year itch in that super iconic photo of Marilyn standing above a subway grate with her dress being blown up. And they said they wanted to do something that was press-worthy to celebrate that day. And so we worked together with their director of marketing at the time, Sloan uh, LaMartina, and we created this concept that we would go right to that corner at 59th and Lexington in the heart of New York City. And we would recreate that campaign. We would build a, a small, low-profile stage with a high-powered fan underneath it. So it's blowing all day long. And we would have models come up on stage 
and uh, they would get their skirt blown up. But that was just kind of the teaser piece. The main thing is really as sexy is for everyone. So we wanted anybody that was walking down the street, woman, man, whoever wanted to get their skirt blown up, they could have their Marilyn moment. So when it came down to the challenges, really, in, in working side by side with the estate of Marilyn Monroe, their biggest concern was, what is the undergarment of these people? What will they be wearing underneath whatever is being blown up, right? Because what I did not know was that uh, Marilyn actually wore two pairs of underwear back then and had, when she had her skirt blown up for that photo. And so we, we settled on was uh, booty shorts, Scott. And okay, so you're working with your client, uh, Sexy Hair, and you're working with the estate, which obviously they, they have the, the name and likeness of Marilyn they, they want to protect. Uh, what was the demographic and, and maybe what was the human truth that you guys were working off in terms of sexy hair? To, I would think a, a female demographic, obviously, it sounds like the brief had this kind of classic campaign in mind and they wanted to, they felt their brand was classic and that was the fit. Was there something else that really stood out and, and what was the content that you were trying to create? Obviously you were trying to get earned media as well. I, I think I heard in there, but as you were working on the brief, were there anything else uncovered with kind of a human truth or were you trying to get more people into the brand or were you just trying to continue to establish the brand as, as a leader and continue to position as the classic brand with Marilyn? And was there anything else about the brief or the, or the strategy you could share with us? It was really about that sexy is for everyone. Because a lot of times we see sexy as a person on, on the billboard, a person on TV or the person at the concert. But everybody has the ability to have their moment. They can be as iconic as Marilyn. So that's what we were really trying to do is, is connect that beauty and that sense of beauty that each person you know, needs to feel inside right? their own self-worth, right? So that was really the crux of it, right? So to be able to allow each person that came by, and we don't know who these people are going to be, and we're going to be there for 12 hours, to have their Maryland moment. This was very grassroots. This was, this was me at H&M in New York City the night before buying 25 pairs of booty shorts from size zero to 24 so that we are loaded up, right? So anybody that came up would just sign a waiver, go into a dressing room, make sure they had the booty shorts on and head up to the stage. And you talk about the earned media. This was a very, very inexpensive project to execute, right? If the client spent, you know... It was a big crew or big production, Dave, or anything like that? No, very, very... I think there you know, maybe three or four of us on, on site to execute this thing, but just millions and millions of impressions all around the world because it was so simple. And it was just to be there on the corner in New York City and to see this happening at that same place Marilyn was at 60 years earlier was you know, so newsworthy you know, for that day. And, and Marilyn, she appeals to, to women and men, right? And all genders, all, all sexual preferences, everybody loves Marilyn. So it was such a, a lovely way to cross all people groups to create that for them. And I think Dove in, in the beauty industry, Dove kind of did something similar. Like how do you bring kind of core audience of every, I like what you said about how everyone is sexy. And so how do you bring this iconic campaign to kind of consumers everywhere and allow them to feel sexy? I'm looking at the campaign now. It's just beautiful campaign. I can see, man, Maryland for them. What is great. I'm looking at the stills. I know you said up, Upworthy had like 10 million views or something like that. So you had like 
was it 25 different women in all? Yes, uh, we had, we had four, four different models that were there just kind of to prime the pump, right? So we always had somebody on the stage, but it's, you know, 59th and Lex, there's a subway station right there. So as people would come out of that subway terminal, there's so much noise around that people were, you know, signing up. And so we had somewhere close to 50 different women that went through and cycled through that day to have their Maryland moment. And one of the funny stories was uh, you're at 59th and then we're right on Lexington. We hear the ambulance come screaming down 59th and then he turns onto Lexington and the driver notices what's happening. He slows to a crawl, right? And it's just like, you're just creeping by, creeping by, creeping by till he can't look anymore, throws the siren back on and takes off, you know? So I was like, okay, hopefully nobody died over that moment. And how was, how did the campaign work? Did it work in retail and what were some other to the execution? Yeah, so our portion was just that day, that execution. And then, so it was originally a a two-year deal. Sexy Hair went on. It was so successful for them. They ended up extending it out for a a third year with Marilyn Monroe. And yeah, it was, I think, one of the their most successful campaigns that they've done in in the history of of the organization. Because they're relatively a a small player when you think about like the, the big Red Kens and the Sebastians and things like that. But they are scrappy. And because of that, they're unafraid to take chances and do some really, really cutting edge stuff. We ended up doing you know multiple campaigns for Sexy Hair over the years, and they like to push the envelope a little bit. You know, this campaign, I got, I've got to say, the campaign was about seven years ago. And so I think the world has also changed a lot. And I don't know how open the world would be to uh, people getting their skirt blown up. I don't know how politically correct that would be in 2023. I don't know either, but I think early on sourcing everyday people, I think we're seeing that a lot more. I know in a lot of the campaign work we're doing with major entertainment brands and destination brands, casino luxury hotel brands, we're really making sure in in the creative development that the people can have an elevated look and style, but they still like no one wants to just see like that stereotypical model in a campaign, right? Because it's not really believable and no one believes anything. And in the day of trust is everything. It sounds like this kind of little tweak made a ton of sense for the brand. Um, even though Maryland's the most iconic that I could think of, able to bring that down and make it believable for everybody and attainable for everyone while keeping that stylistic element around it to be aspirational, but to still be believable. I think that's the balance in today's world a little bit. I agree. It reminds me a little bit. I think, I think, I think Dove was really the first one to really start you know, doing campaigns with real women of all shapes, colors, sizes, and showing the beauty that existed in, in each one of them. So I think you're right. I think people, people want to see more authenticity today. And I agree with you on that. We get fed too much bullshit. I mean, even you mentioned Dove and, you know, Run Like a Girl is one of my favorite campaigns. I have our VP of uh, client service. She worked on the Dove brand. So I I had a million questions for her. (laughs) But even look at Victoria's Secret now, I think going in that direction. And I'm looking at the earned media from this campaign you worked on. I mean, it was insane. Leveraging a celebrity like Marilyn and then finding unique execution points was pretty genius. So I know I have you coming back. Is there any kind of last words for Mark? I mean... I got to hear your background a little bit before the show, and I'd love maybe the audience. I mean, I think you said you started as in the DJ mobile DJ business or something. It's just super cool. Yeah, 
back, you got the records in the back. I mean, obviously, I love Nashville. Can you tell people how you got into this business? And now you're working with a ton of CMOs. I know in this next episode, we're going to talk about uh, Long John Silver and your rebrand there, which I thought was really, really cool. Had a kind of a sustainability kind of model to it. But I'd, I'd love to maybe give our audience just a kind of just brief background on you and how you got started in this business. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so this year will be 39 years since I started the company. And we started as a as a, a mobile uh, disc jockey company when I was 20 years old. So I'm not your your typical marketer because I'm a guy that dropped out of school, dropped out of college when he was 20 to start a company. And just, you know, but we found ourselves working through primarily corporate clients. I'm actually an LA guy. I, I live in Nashville now, but I, I spent 45 years of my life in Los Angeles. And so we built this uh, mobile DJ company to be the second largest in California. And we, but we focused on corporate and then it became... Add in some video, add in some lighting. Hey, let's do the video content. Let's start telling their stories, right? And just and it turned into this you know, creative agency. And I have just surrounded myself with people that are much, much smarter than myself. And I listen really, really well. And so if for the last 10, 12 years, you, we have been so embedded in the marketing departments of our clients. And uh, really, about 12 years ago, we got introduced to an organization called the CMO Club. And it was a private organization for chief marketers. And uh, we ended up partnering with them and producing all of their summits throughout uh, the US and Europe. And uh, there's a no strict no selling rule there, but you become friends and you sit at the table with these people and you start to do deals together. And, we say, and that CMO community has become a family community for us. So uh, really excited to see where it has helped shape this company. How have you developed trust in with some CMOs? I mean, we talked a little bit earlier before the show. A lot of us work with CMOs and aspire to work with CMOs and help execute their vision. Creatively, it's so hard to do. And I feel so many people can do it at a high level. What has given you success to do that? I mean, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell somebody else getting into the business or maybe mid-level in the business about what it takes to do great campaign work for CMOs? Yeah, it's the first thing I would say is I have such a huge respect for CMOs because I feel like they have such a target on their back, right? And a lot of the average tenures is about 18 months for CMOs, right? Yeah. Mike and I talked about that in our last episode. Yep. Yeah. So they have such a, a target because it doesn't matter if it's the economy or the pandemic or whatever, sales start to go down, it's blame it on the CMO and they're gone and you know, let's try try something new. So so I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge that when you work with the CMO, that you've got to listen. You've got to understand what it is they need. You need to bring your best self, your best creative, but ultimately you need to immerse yourself in what they need to accomplish. What is ROI for them and what's the ROI that has been dictated by their C-level, their CEO? What do they need to accomplish? And then everything, that needs to be the lens in which we run all of our creative through and go, okay, so is this going to drive sales? Is it going to build followers, whatever it's going to be. Are we creating that for them? And are we creating something that feels authentic to who the brand is, right? And the the other thing is not every job, not every project is something you say yes to. And sometimes you build trust by saying no to things. Oh, I love that. Sometimes you build trust by saying no to things. I certainly learned that the hard way at times early in my career. 
man, that wraps up this episode. But like we kind of teased before, we're going to go into the next episode and we're going to talk about how Long John Silver finds a uh, sustainability message, which actually was undiscovered. And so we're going to talk about that with David. Big thanks to uh, David, founder and CEO of Chief Creative Officer of Go West Creative for joining us. And again, in part two of this interview, we're going to talk about this Long John Silver campaign. You wouldn't think Long John Silver had a sustainable message, but David and his team found it. So we're going to talk about that. If you can't wait until our next episode and you want to learn more about David, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, of course. He's on Twitter at D-F-I-S-C-H-E-T-T-E or go to his company website at gowestcreative.com. Another link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes, head over to rebrandpod.com and we'll have summaries to everything you need there. Again, subscribe. I was telling David we're about 5,000 subscribers now, which is awesome. We're building this marketing community. We want you to be a part of it. So hit that subscribe button so it's nice and easy. Again, our handle is uh, rebrandpod everywhere. It's probably easier to find me. I've been producing more content than my podcast just the last two, three months. So you can find me, Scott Harkey, on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and even TikTok. So, uh, look for me there. Again, subscribe. I'm going to go quickly through these notes because I want to get to our next episode here. But again, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. Bye.